Welcome to the sixth episode of the Facilitatorium Podcast. I'm Jim Rice, the Ibero America Missionary Team Leader, and I'll be your host today. This podcast has been created as a platform to discuss issues relevant to GT missionaries in phase four and five fields. I believe it's also relevant to all of our M's around the world as we look to form, facilitate, and foster self-sustaining, disciple-making relationships in all of our fields. Today is my pleasure and our blessing to be joined by Marie Dirksen. Marie is an international worker with the Christian Missionary Alliance Canada. He was born in Western Canada and grew up in a Christian businessman's home. His family were active members in their local church. He was called into ministry and missions as a teen. He prepared for ministry at a Bible college and began pastoring in Canada in 1987. After a season of ministry and master studies, he and his family learned Spanish and moved to Guadalajara, Mexico as church planters in 1992. They stayed in Mexico until 2001. After a three-year season in Canada, they moved to Egypt, learned Arabic, and served the outreach and development arm of a large international church. In their fourth year in, in Egypt, their organization invited them to return to Latin America, where they have served as regional leadership couple for the last 12 years. I met Murray in uh, Canada as I participated in Leadership Matters course, and Murray was one of the uh, leaders there. He was one of the trainers. He has been instrumental in the formation and implementation of the Leadership Matters course and the Hispanic International Training Alliance in Latin America. Murray, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for, uh, for being willi willing to come alongside us and uh, uh, share with us uh, some of your experiences. Uh, we're glad to have you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, as we start out, Murray, what has sparked your interest in encouraging the Global South, uh, what we generally, uh, and this podcast will be uh, Ibero-American Africa, uh, to become an area that sends workers out into the wider world? Hmm. Yeah, it, <clears throat> it's kind of burned on my soul. Uh, it was near the end of April in 2008. We were just finishing up our ministry in Cairo, Egypt. I was standing by the gates <clears throat> of the Mahdi Community Church, which was on the Anglican campus in, in Mahdi. And uh, three young Egyptian men walked in the door. And my heart kind of sunk. You see, we were an international church, English-speaking. Um, and there were a number of young Coptic Egyptian men that would that would come and attend the church, but not for the purpose of, of praying with us, as they put it. Uh, but they were there to check out some of the young American and Canadian uh, lady teachers that were part of the, Amer of the uh, International Church. And uh, so we were always vigilant and careful that uh, when these young men would come, that we would approach them and thank them for coming and asked them to return to their places of prayer. Well, that Friday morning, these three young men walked in. And I thought, oh no, I have to go and talk to them and tell them not to come back to church. And uh, they've kind of sat down near the back and I sat in the row right behind them thinking, if they start checking out the girls, I'm just gonna ask them to leave in the middle of the service. My, let's just say my attitude was not really good that morning. <laughs> Well, during the welcome time, uh, we always invited people to stand and just mention the country that they were come, uh, coming from. They, uh, you know, the church was made up of about 
60 different nations and 50 different denominations. And we'd have about 15 to 1800 people there on any given weekend on four services. So uh, as they came around to these three guys, they, the three of them stood up and uh, Mark, our worship leader said, so, you know, where are you from? And I'm in my mind, I went Egypt, 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 just, I was irritated. Their response was Panama, El Salvador, and Mexico. And after a, a quick moment of repentance in my own heart, I started thinking, I have lived almost a decade in Latin America, and I did not recognize these guys as, as Latinos. I saw them as young Egyptian men. They fit in so well. Well, immediately after the service, I went straight to them and, and chatting to them in Spanish and saying, why are you here? And they said, all three of us are international workers in Jordan. And uh, we needed a break. So we came down to Egypt and we heard about this international church and we came here to be refreshed. Jim, something happened in my heart that day, knowing that I was returning to Latin America that year uh, in a position of leadership. It was like God was preparing me by saying, Murray, look what is happening. I am raising up the global south. Part of your role will be to help the global south, south do an even better job in missions than the north has done. Mm. Wow. Uh, I think that's a story that can be impactful for all of us and probably most of us can identify in one way or the other with. Um, thanks for sharing that. And in that, that uh, as we carry on from that idea of the global South uh, going out into the world, what are some of the practical sending structures uh, that your churches and that our churches in Ibero America uh, and our regional conference there can use to send missionaries from, uh, from the global South to the Middle East and or other parts of the world? Yeah, <clears throat> I wish... Jim, that we could say that, you know, what we left behind as M's in Latin America was, were well-defined structures and platforms uh, for moving ahead in the missional effort into some of the least reached areas of the world. But the fact of the matter is, um, the structures, the sending structures are as varied as the countries are. As you know, having lived in Ecuador for many years. Um, each country has its own sense of identity. Each country uh, has structured themselves differently. So, for example, <clears throat> the, the CMA in Chile has a concerted effort. They have a missions director, and uh, all of their workers go through the national office and are strategically placed globally. And they have, gained, um, they have gained a passion for raising up professionals from within their, from within their national churches and uh, sending them out to join existing teams. But it's, it's funded half by the national church and half by the sending church. Uh, Peru, which is our largest national church, is probably about 400 churches in Peru. Uh, 
their approach is very different. Like night and day, they don't have a coordinating missions office. Uh, each church is responsible for the sending of their workers. And what they do is they encourage, when they find a worker who feel, who was called and they want to send them out, uh, they encourage the sending church to find two or three other nearby churches that might share that passion and together to send them out. And those churches pay the whole bill. Um, that That's just kind of an example of of two very different structures. I think one thing that we, as we reflect back on our, on our exit strategy in a number of the Latin American contexts, um, I think we made a couple mistakes and I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning these is probably because you see the same thing uh, in your organization, mm-hmm. but be, because it has impacted the efficiency and the effectiveness of the sending structures that each of these churches have. Those two mistakes would be, one is, I don't know that we went in 130 years ago when we first started entering Latin America with the mindset of developing sending churches. We saw Latin America and other parts of the global South as places to be evangelized. And they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after 100 years plus of mission work in those countries, we kept that focus of evangelizing those nations instead of uh, equipping the nations to become senders. So I think that's one area that if we, if we could do it over again, which means we should do it in our next uh, least reached peoples that we work with. Right. And that is to plant that seed of being a sending nation that they are called to make disciples of their local people um, and, and globally as well. I think the second mistake that we made was uh, we left a little bit early. We, the national churches rose up. They started recognizing that they didn't need a mission present to tell them what to do. And there was a bit of that, you know, youthful young adult rebellion that, that happened at a leadership organizational level. And I think we left a bit too soon without helping them actually establish structures that were pertinent to their situation with regards to sending structures and, um, and caring for their workers. So I think those have impacted the effectiveness of uh, workable sending structures in Latin America. Murray, you talked a little bit about uh, finances in, as you talked about those churches in Peru and Chile. Um, but could we go a little deeper into that? And could you talk a little bit about what financial models uh, Christian Missionary Alliance has used to allow these sending models to work or, or even prosper? Yeah, it's... <clears throat> You know, for the most part in our history in North America, so in Canada and the U.S., we have used the faith promise. So we have the pooled financial system, and we've used what we call the faith promise, which is encouraging individuals within churches and churches within the denomination to kind of set faith goals of what they want to give towards missions. 
And a number of our Latin American churches have adopted that model as their financial model for sending workers. Um, as we have seen in North America, so they are seeing in Latin America. That model of pooling all of our funds together uh, has, uh, with, with the changing of the generations, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's morphed and there's less pool funds available, but there are more funds directed towards people with relationship. So yeah. the higher the level of relationship, the more funding goes with that. And in, from my observations in Latin America, it's, it's very similar. And as you know, Jim, yeah. uh, relationship in Latin America trumps just about anything. Yep. And uh, so a lot of the financial models that we're finding uh, among our CMA national churches uh, are tied more and more to relationships. Let me, let me give you one quick example. So uh, Colombia a number of years ago, maybe 15 to 18 years ago, uh, sent out a couple that they were fully supporting. And uh, they sent them to Morocco. And that couple learned Moroccan Arabic and situated themselves in the old city of Fez. And I had the opportunity of visiting them a number of years ago in their home. And this Colombian couple had integrated amazingly uh, he was developing really good relationships with the market people and um, you know, really strong in the relational side. And they were you know, offering English classes because she had spent some time in the U.S. as a youth. And yeah, from our perspective, they were having a great impact. From the Colombian church perspective, the, uh, the couple, <laughs> the relational piece was dropping because the Colombian church expected them to have a church established, mm-hmm. uh, a church building, mm-hmm. uh, Sunday services going in Morocco. And they didn't, I mean, there was a, a significant disconnect between the expectations of what quote unquote church planting is in the Middle East and in North Africa. Mm-hmm. But what happened there, Jim, was, um, as expectations were not being met, uh, the relational, the, the relationship began to decrease. And with the decrease of the relationship came the decrease in financial support to the point uh, where the National Church President said, well, they're not really our missionaries anymore. Mm. We're, we're, not, we're not sending any money to them. Mm. And it was, it was because of that misconception of what church planting, uh, what disciple making looks like in the least reached areas of the world. So now we can talk about financial models and, um, but I think for the global South, our financial models are tied to the relationship between the sending church and, uh, and the workers. And I think, um, you know, I gave you the two models of Chile and Peru, how they, they do it financially very, very differently. But the key there, again, is for Peru, it's the relationship that those two or three or four churches have with the worker. Mm-hmm. And in Chile, it's the relationship that the sending church and the national church missions director have with the people going out. So the models are often tied to the cultural 
relationship pieces. Right. And as you mentioned, we're finding the same thing to be true now in the, in the U S and Canada is, uh, we do the same thing. We do faith promise in the Wesleyan church. So we're familiar with that. Uh, and uh, I think the way, way our funding works is a little bit different, but, uh, that's, that is a common, uh, thread of, of conversation among our missionaries is, uh, how do we sustain our model? How does it, how do we do this? Mm. And how do we keep going in this way as, uh, as actually now meeting with individuals has become as, as, or more important as, as meeting with churches, uh, to uh, sustain our funding. Anyway, uh, that's really good stuff there. And, and absolutely uh, anyone that has been in, in Latin America knows how important their relationship is. And sometimes uh, how long it takes to develop uh, that relationship as sometimes you're seen as a uh, transitive person, a person that's going to be there for a short time and leave. And they really don't have time for people like that. They, they, they have, they have to know that you're really interested or long-term. So excellent stuff. And of course they're sending out their folks, but to think of, Hey, we've got these people that are, that are doing this job uh, doing this ministry, but they don't have a church. There is no building. Uh, so, uh, so Latin American there because the church is the building. Uh, if there's not a building, then what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> and the real yeah. importance on our side, as we communicate or as the missionaries communicate back to their, their field, just like us, when we're in the field, communicating to our base, to our prayer partners, to our, our people that raise uh, funds for us and that give to us. Uh, uh, I think that's just an across the board thing and really good truth that you brought out of, of being really good relational and, com- and communicating well. Yeah. As we move forward here, Murray, could you just, uh, through your experience in, in both uh, Egypt and uh, Latin America and Canada, and thinking of uh, relationships you've formed and have with uh, folks from a lot of sending agencies from around the world and advice you've heard, things that you've heard, anecdotes. Uh, could you pass on some advice to our face, uh, four and five missionaries and fields uh, based on that and uh, through the CMA, things that you've learned from them uh, on how we can... Um, sustain these four and five fields and move on uh, into uh, not just ascending church, but a church that really is just making disciples. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just thinking of those three young men who showed up at the international church in Cairo that I mentioned, mm-hmm. they blended in so well that even a Latino like me could not tell the difference. Um, That very fact that they blended in was a significant piece for Mm -hmm. me. And and as I contemplated that, and as I know the very next fall, I started integrating with the leadership of the Alliance in Latin America. And the conversations were, along the lines of who are you developing and how are you developing them? Mm-hmm. Because you know, as I dug into some of the trends of the global South and their sending, uh, 
some of the big holes were, you know, they'll, they support them for about two years and then the support just kind of dries up. Mm. And the vast majority of workers return to Latin America because they've lost their support. And the second thing was, you know, as is very common in many, if not all, I'm sure it's not in the Wesleyan, but <laughs> in every other mission organization, you know, the interpersonal conflict is another significant reason oh, yeah. mm-hmm. for, for returning. So as we kind of entered into the discussions with leadership in Latin America, uh, we were focused on in what ways can we come alongside as, you know, as, as the older brother who has spent 130 years in missions, in what ways can we come alongside of you and help you prepare workers better, help better prepare churches to care for them? And we've had like some of our American colleagues actually do their, their doctoral work in member care mm-hmm. for, uh, for Latin American workers and well, actually African workers as well. And so I think that, that would be one of the trends that, that I would suggest for those that are in the phase four or five transitional piece. And that is uh, it, maybe it's time for us to stop doing the evangelistic part of the work mm-hmm. and to focus the vast majority of our energies on the preparation, on the character development, on the leadership skills, um, and the interpersonal conflict skills and mediation skills of those um, that the global South is raising up and ready to send. Um, So that's kind of where we turned our focus and started, we we called it Samuel house, like the prophet's house, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically wanting to prepare Latin American workers for for the Middle East, for, for work with Muslims. And um, yeah, I think we've seen about 12 people come through it. And we have, you know, two of them going to, no, three going to Jordan to work with a community center that has an international team that ministers predominantly to Syrian refugees on the, in the border area between Jordan and Syria. And then we have another one going to Turkey to learn Turkish and to work with a Latin American cultural center that was started there by a Peruvian couple a number of years ago. Uh, Another one's going to work with a team in Central Asia. And our our focus in the preparation of these people was not, was not necessarily the, the theological or biblical or missiological aspects, although they did get that in the Mm -hmm. one year program. But the focus was developing their character, helping them practice. So we, we have Samuel House centered in a city in, on the border of Paraguay, Argentina, and Brazil, where there are about 20,000 Arab Muslims. There are thousands of uh, Hindu Indians. There are thousands of Buddhist um, Chinese that are in the area. In fact, where we house this particular group is in an apartment building where they are the only non-Chinese in a 13-story building with a Buddhist temple uh, on the main floor of the building 
and we have an apartment that's kind of on the 13th and 14th floor of of the building so the idea is to is to help our latin american colleagues develop their workers in a cross-cultural setting where they are inundated uh, by by cultures all around them but they can still function in spanish yeah and um i think that really is where we as mission organizations need need to move especially in the global south areas where there would be you know more than 10% would be uh, followers of Jesus in those contexts mm-hmm. where we can come alongside national churches and help them train people from the deep level, recognizing what, what are the things that bring people back quickly and trying to address those issues before they go out. At one point of clarification, just a, a, a curiosity on my part, Marie, is does uh, CMA Canada or CMA the United States, do, do you guys uh, supplement in any way the work of the uh, Latin American churches as they send people out? Yeah, Jim, that's, that's a good question. We have been, um, we have resisted the temptation to pick up the financial mantle mm-hmm. for Latin American workers. Um, partly because it's, you know, fully funded North American workers is, um, I would say is on the decline. Right. Um, so why would we transfer and support a model that we see as already fading. So why wouldn't we look to the new models in the new waves and help strengthen those models? So one way that we're, that we're doing that is we're, we're realizing, and I'm sure you are as well, if you're gonna go to the least reached, you cannot go in with a missionary visa. You need other platforms in order to to go there, whether it's business as mission, whether it's you know through compassion or or whether it's through a professional. So what we're doing is we're exploring. I mean, the Canadian as Canadian as the Canadian Church, we are also exploring in what ways can we send workers out that are not financially dependent on our sending churches. Now, how can we get people? into places where you can't get uh, missionary visas and how can they be say, sustained there without their funding coming from North America. Right. So we're doing that very same thing with our Latin American workers. Excellent. Um, okay. So we are not helping them pay their salary, but mm-hmm. what we are trying to do is we're trying to match Latin American workers with existing teams in least reached countries. And that team often has, uh, they may have a business that they can become a part of. They, they have the, uh, the member care resources to care for the family or for the single that is joining their team from Latin America. Uh-huh. Uh, often uh, there are residences or um, like, 
homes that are being purchased by the mission that that can be used to house some of our workers, which decreases their uh, their costs. Financial pieces that we have offered to help out with um, with Latin American workers is we'll help we'll help them get from Latin America to their place. Don't, we'll come alongside and help pay a a one-off cost like um, like flights. We'll pay a one-off cost like we just sent a transfer down to, to Chile to pay the medical insurance for a family for one year. Now, some of those one-off costs we can justify mm-hmm. in our own minds, of course, yes. <laughs> um, because they're not, they're not part of their monthly sustaining costs. Sure. And the other thing, uh, we're working closely with Latin American churches with regards to business as mission. So just last week, I was talking to the missions director for, for Chile. And he was telling me of their plan of utilizing some property at a missions training center in Colombia to, uh, to plant a, a coffee plantation okay. and to train workers, not only in the cultivation of coffee, but all the way through to being trained baristas. Wow. So that they could be sent out you know, using the Latin American coffee mindset Uh uh, to go to some of these least reached areas and either cultivate coffee or begin coffee businesses like imported coffee, roasteries, uh, all the way through to the serving of, you know, people's favorite latte or cappuccino. And I thought, boy, that that's just creativity that they are thinking of because they're thinking that the way that they're going to sustain missions is either through business or compassion through yes. education um, or through professions. They're wow. not, they're already thinking in a different way. That's great. So they're not requiring our finances for the monthly sustaining of these workers. We're just helping them with some of the one-off costs. So that's kind of one way that we're managing it. Excellent. Excellent. Some really good points here, Murray. Thank you. And as we kind of uh, draw to a close, I have one other thought, uh, and that is, you know, when I don't know if it's the same for you guys in CMA, but uh, with us and the experience that I have seen in our Ibero-American churches is that quite often it's the young leadership, uh, those young leaders that are just coming in uh, to their leadership roles that catch fire for missions and see mm-hmm. the big picture. And quite often, uh, some of our older established leadership who, quite frankly, have the most influence in, in the national and local churches yeah. are slower uh, to see the need to send people outside of their own area. Uh, how do we get those older leaders on board? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a really good question. The young tend to have the energy for the adventure of doing and trying new things. And for the older, and it's a generalization, of course, because <laughs> <laughs> you and I are definite exceptions, right, Jim? Absolutely. Uh, the older we get, uh, the less energy that we tend to have towards trying new things. Um, let me just give you one example. It was October 2017. And uh, Michelle and I were sitting at a table on the rooftop 
of a hospital in Manouf, Egypt. Mm-hmm. Manouf is a city of about 300,000 people, 99% Muslim. Um, and it's a long story how that hospital got there, but it was <clears throat> a Christian hospital in the midst of Manouf. And it's a training hospital that trains surgeons and nurses uh, in Africa to serve Africa. And we were sitting on, the, at this, on this rooftop under a tent, uh, sitting around a table, and around that table were Michelle and I, uh, the CMA president from Chile, the missions director from Chile, a Canadian nurse, and a nurse from Venezuela. And uh, the nurse from Venezuela was telling us her story, how you know her church in in Caracas had you know, a large church had sent her out as an as a nurse missionary, and how passionate she was, and how she had come to Egypt, and what she told stories of. She said, my purpose for being here is not to train other nurses. My purpose for being here is to share Jesus with the people here in the city. And my platform is as a nurse. Mm-hmm. And she told us stories of how her and the Canadian nurse, uh, weekdays, they would go to homes that would be open to studying about Isa, about Jesus, mm-hmm. from the Quran and from the Bible. And she said, we are doing nothing in secret. We want the whole family present when we talk about Jesus. If someone decides to follow Jesus, their whole family needs to Like She was just like hardcore. (laughs) I am here to reach these people and I'm going to do it out in the open. No, come what may. Just Mm -hmm. passionate. And then... You know, the president and the missions director from Chile were just intrigued. They were, they were enthralled with her passion. And they said, well, you know, tell us a bit about your sending church. And then she mm-hmm. told a very sad, very sad story that as the economy in Venezuela was declining significantly, the financial support that that church could send to her was declining just as rapidly. And if you're familiar with the situation in Venezuela, Sure. What is it? Four million percent or whatever. Inflation, um, yeah. Inflation. And so, I mean, I can understand the church, what was happening there. But she said what happened was with the financial decline also came the prayer decline and the relationship disappeared. Mm-hmm. And she said, I ended up for a time just in the U.S., wondering what I was going to do because I had no support. And finally, a few people kind of gathered some support and I was able to return to, to Egypt. And, you know, she was, she was brokenhearted because she said all of those relationships with my church in Venezuela and my pastor um, have disappeared because the finances disappeared. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, if they would at least keep the prayer and the relational piece up, yeah. even if they can't do the financial, like, stay with me. I'm out. Like she's like way out on a limb without feeling supported by anybody except for her Mm. coworkers right there on the ground. And uh, that struck a chord. Uh, We asked the the president of CMA Chile if he would, if he would pray for her and he got up and went and stood behind her. And Jim, he wept Mm. as he prayed over her just wept you know 
essentially confessing the sins of the sending church Mm. and asking for forgiveness and praying a blessing over her. And that something, something happened, something significant happened in his heart that day. We went back to Cairo that afternoon and in the evening we were sitting by the right beside the Nile at a restaurant and, and sipping tea Mm. and both Felipe and, um, and the missions director said, uh, so, so what do we do? Like, how do we make this happen? How do we, how do we send out workers like this um, and do a really good job at it? Um, and, and how have you done it in Canada to continue to raise the, the passion for missions? We simply just told them a story of something that had happened that very fall where our president had taken a, n- a number of significant pastors, especially those that aren't really uh, giving to our pooled fund. And he took them to Senegal and they spent time with, with five imams, uh, I believe from the Wolof people, that, uh, that are followers of Jesus and how they were living in secret and hiding because of persecution, but how passionate they were about telling. Uh, their fellow Wolof about Jesus and how our president had taken that same group up to Northern Iraq to meet the Yazidi people and, and how at the end of that vision trip, it was like 10 days or something, how our pastors made a renewed commitment and some of the younger leaders that were there uh, and older leaders were like convinced of, of what we were doing among the least reached. And so I, I, you know, quickly told that story and it was like a decision was made that night at that cafe on the Nile where the president and the missions director said, that's what we're going to do. And they went back and the very next fall, Jim, they, they took 25 leaders and pastor and like senior pastors from the Chilean church and led them on stops in Egypt, Israel, Nepal, and England. Wow. And the National Church fronted most of the cost. They just said, the way that we're going to increase missions in our nation is we are going to take key leaders and expose them to these frontline works so that they catch the vision. It was a big expense. Um, you know, they asked for assistance. We helped with like with $5,000 or something of of the thirty-five dollars or $40,000 that it cost them to take these key leaders. Mm-hmm. But Chile is one of our leading countries with regards to sending to the least reached. Sure. That is a powerful story. And um, I think we can all see some of that as we look back at our journey and how we got uh, motivated to listen uh, to God as he spoke to us about missions. Uh, it usually is some kind of personal experience, whether it's with an international worker that comes to the States, an international pastor that comes to the States, or us going on a short-term trip. Murray, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad to have you. We really appreciate you sharing uh, wisdom that you've gleaned through the years. And the perspective of other organizations is really important. Uh, often we get myopic and look uh, and to ourselves uh, 
hmm. without looking outside. And that's a huge weakness among, I believe, among missions organizations uh, and churches. But when we can reach out to other brothers and sisters and other organizations who have uh, either above us on the, on the uh, development scale or even behind us and that's coming along and are doing things differently than we did, it's, it's really beneficial. So thank you so much for being willing to do this. Well, Jim, it's a, it's a pleasure to walk shoulder to shoulder, CMA and Wesleyan, uh, into reaching the least reached and to raising up the global south to do the same. So, Amen. con mucho gusto. Ah, muchas gracias, Murray. Yeah. Bendiciones en el nombre de Cristo. Thank Thanks. you so much for being here, Murray. Blessings to you guys as well. Okay.